We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome, Bears fans, to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Usaid Kulshul. We record this episode on a Tuesday here, August 8th. The Bears were back at training camp practice after a day off yesterday and uh, their family fest on Sunday. Um, and then, you know, this is this is game week, Usaid. We have uh, the first preseason game of the season coming up on Saturday against the Tennessee Titans. So uh, it's going to be a very exciting week kind of winding up to that game and leading up to there. Uh, but before we get started uh, in terms of what we're talking about today, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. You know, you mentioned it. Finally have a game at Soldier Field. It was nice to be there at Family Fest on Sunday, sitting upstairs in the press box and just getting a bird's eye view of really what is a new look offense because, you know, the tough part about being in Hallis Hall is that you really have like that ground level view. So there's not a whole lot that you can necessarily observe. Now, it doesn't help that the Bears are literally practicing and having players on the sidelines stand in front of the media and all that. But, you know, it was nice being in the press box at Soldier Field, have that bird's eye view, and then really just get some more insight as to what route combinations and concepts as well as plays this team's going to be running. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, training camp, it's it's definitely felt like it's it's slowed down a little bit. We had a little bit of a uh, of an upswing when they get the pads on and stuff like that. But it does seem like, especially today, when I was there, I was at I was at training camp today, and um, very slow day, very just uh, very methodical, like implementing a lot of stuff. It seemed like you know things were kind of out of sorts a little bit. And one of the, I guess one of the major stories I guess we can get into, at least my, some of the things that I've been noticing is that the defense, you know, a lot of the talk the first week of camp was how the offense looked really good, how they were performing really well in these uh, team sessions. 
but the defense, it seems like, has really started to catch up and, if anything, has been better than the offense over the last week or so since the pads came on. And I, I don't know if that's something that was there at, at summer at, – not fa- summer fest, <laughs> but uh, family fest for uh, – uh, think about a different, different total thing there with summer fest there. It's a different city entirely. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, family fest, it sounded like it was more of an offensive day but I can tell you from the days that I was in this past week, the defense definitely won out. And then today I felt like the defense also won out as well. So, you know, what do you make of that the defense, you know, starting to kind of impose its will, so to speak, on the offense and training camp? I mean, I am not surprised that this is happening because ultimately when we look at this defense and where they're at, I mean, the Bears did make a handful of signings. And you have Unique Nagakwe, Rasheem Green, Demarcus Walker, Tremaine Edmonds, TJ Edwards as well. And then you have, you know, experienced vets returning from the last couple seasons and Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson. So really, when we look at where the defense is at, it's very clear that this experience is playing such a big role in the defense's ability to consistently stack good practices in training camp. Now, looking at the offensive side of the ball, it's tough. And it's tough because there's such little continuity that exists on offense, especially when we look at key positions. I mean, we know that there's continuity at the quarterback position. All right, fine. You want to say there's continuity at tight end? Sure. But when you look at some of the additions that the Bears have made this year and, you know, midway through last season to Chase Claypool as well as DJ Moore, I mean, you had two those two guys at your receiver positions. Now you've just changed up the role of what – the tight end is going to be doing in this offense, you know, so Cole Komet's role has slightly changed. And then you look at some of the depth pieces to Mercedes Lewis, um, Robert Tunney and another guy, it's really an entire unit that's taking time to gel. And then you have a new look running back room, which I don't know what's going on there. I mean, you could make an argument. Any of those three guys are going to start. And then last but not least that offensive line, like, yes, you have three starters returning from last season, but Two of the three guys are playing in relatively new positions. It's been a couple of years since Cody Whitehair has played in that center spot. Then you have Tevin Jenkins, who was out for a couple of days, moved from right tackle in college all the way to left tackle in the pros, then to right guard. Now they're saying go ahead and learn how to play left guard. And then you have Braxton Jones, who, again, you can tell has gotten stronger this season. This offseason has improved his anchor, but even there, there's times where you look at it and you say, okay, when there's a Frank Clark or a stud pass rusher lining up right across from Braxton Jones, there is a cause for concern there. And then you don't necessarily have much continuity established on the offensive line because Nate Davis has been injured and Darnell Wright's had his ups and downs as rookies. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces with the offense, and it's and you know, as much as the weapons have been exciting for uh, the Bears in training camp, like Claypool's had a really nice camp that continues to kind of show up every single day in practice. It seems like today he had a little bit of a quiet day, but overall, it's been a great camp for Chase Claypool. Like DJ Moore is just phenomenal. Like it's just I've said it before on a bunch of different podcasts here, whether it's with Zach or whether it's on this podcast, but it just seems like whenever Justin Fields needs to make a play. DJ Moore is always there, right? And that's something that he just hasn't had before in his first two, year, two years in the NFL. And now he has that guy that 
the old reliable, right? Where, okay, it's third down. I need to get a first down here. I need a big completion. I'm just going to look for number two and see what happens there. And I'm going to throw it up, give him a chance. And nine times out of 10, he's going to make a play. And it's just that it's, it's been really fun that that aspect of it's been really fun, but yeah, the defense, I, I think they're starting to take advantage of a couple of things. Like this is a defense that has a lot of returning pieces in the secondary, which I don't, which I think is a very underrated aspect of this is that, you know, Eddie Jackson, Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon, uh, Jalen Johnson, obviously, all returning guys to this defense. So they kind of have a little bit of, a, of that year under under their belt in this system, uh, that year of continuity together. And, yeah, they're trying to work in a couple of rookies at the other cornerback spot with Tyreek Stevenson and uh, Terrell Smith. But overall, this is a secondary that um, more or less knows what to expect out of an Eberflus defense, and Eberflus knows how to kind of uh, utilize these guys correctly. And, you know, they've, they've made some upgrades in the linebacker room. They've made – I guess you, we'll get into the, the recent signing of, of Yannick Ngakwe, but they've made some uh, quote unquote upgrades on the defensive line. The defensive line has actually been, you know, one aspect of the team that has kind of impressed me a little bit relative to my expectations. I think they've looked a lot better in practices than I thought they would. Now, how much is that is the offensive line where I don't think the offensive line got much better. If, if we're being on, if I'm being honest here this year compared to last year, like they definitely added some talent but I'm not sure if that talent is going to necessarily show up this year, uh, which is an, another conversation for another, uh, another day, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, the defense is definitely, it's brought the energy quite a bit since the pads came out here. And that was exemplified on Wednesday's practice practice where I don't think I had the chance to talk about that last week, but uh, Wednesday's practice, like the defense just got after it. They were just kicking, they were kicking the offense's ass. I mean, let's just put it, just put it that way. Like uh, they were trash talking the entire time. They were physical. They were controlling the line of scrimmage. They were all over the receivers. Um, you know, Justin Fields did not have his best day on that day, although he, he did make some plays throughout practice. And I, I do wonder, like, um, you know, is that a sign of the offense, you know, slowing down a little bit? Or are they are they getting too muddled in the install aspect of practice? Because we, we got to remember, this is practice, right? They are installing plays. They're trying to get chemistry with, with each other. They're trying to work on a couple uh, little aspects of the offense to try and uh, perfect it so that it's ready for, to go for game day. You know, th- that's one of the things we have to kind of judge here. Whereas a defense, it's always going to be a little bit of head, ahead of the offense in terms of that aspect. Because defense, it's really just about reading your keys and just being fast to the ball, right? And that's what defense is all about. You know, you read what's in front of you and you react. Um, so I, I, I do wonder if that's if that's part of it. Um, do you think that could be something uh, a little bit to that theory? Or is there something else that you think that could be causing the defense to kind of, you know, go back and forth with the offense there? Yeah, you know, you mentioned the reading and react to just swarm to the football. I mean, those are two attributes that we know Matt Eberflus loves in all his defenders. And quite frankly, that is something which plays a role here. But the greater picture here that we also have to keep in mind is that relative to what we've seen in training camp, you kind of already knew going into this thing about two weeks ago that the defense was going to have the upper hand. I understand that. You know, people want to see the offense succeed. I mean, we all do. But at the end of the day, there was also sort of this unrealistic expectation that was fan-generated on social media 
talking about how people felt as if the Bears offense was going to come in and just absolutely blow the doors off training camp and then just steamroll every single team in the regular season, which, again, was never really a realistic expectation to begin with because this is a unit, it's like I've mentioned a couple minutes ago, they have an entirely new offensive line where you've got a mass amount of reshuffling that's been going on. And then your running back room, you know, you don't know who's going to start there. Obviously, the Bears are going to tell you Khalil Herbert, but we all know that's probably not going to be the case. And then your wide receiver room, too. Everyone was chirping in Chase Claypool's ears when he was in Paris and talking about how this guy's not ready to go, blah, 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 all this. Why do we even trade for him? Well, he's looked damn good in camp. And you could argue right now. In terms of the wide receivers, you want to say the most talented is DJ Moore. That's fine. The most consistent, though, by far, has without a doubt been Chase Claypool in terms of the chemistry he's developed with Justin Fields. And then number three, I would argue, has been Darnell Mooney. Now, this is for both sides of the football. It's merely a case where... You know, the defense is just playing faster because they have that veteran experience. And quite frankly, breaking this defense down, I mean, I would say simple, fast, and stupid are three words to describe this defense in the sense that everything is simple. You know, when you have the talent around you, everything begins to click. And then, or you just have talent at a few key positions and everything begins to click. I mean, and I was on a podcast yesterday and I said this. Matt Eberflus's defenses in Indianapolis really took off when they finally got to Forrest Buckner as that three technique. Now, here you're not going to see, at least this year, a massive amount of production from the three technique. It's not going to happen simply because it's hard to find in DeForest Buckner. But what you will see is the guy who's going to allow this defense to click, and I understand he's been out a couple days now, but when he does return is Tremaine Edmonds is going to be the reason, as well as Kyler Gordon. You know, middle linebacker and nickel are two important defense positions in this defense. Once those guys are back and fully healthy, that's when I think the entire unit begins to click, and we're already seeing, you know, flashes of that happening and then not to mention you have Jaquan Brisker at strong safety who quite frankly is a bit of a hybrid player in the sense that you can roll him all the way back you know 15 to 20 yards off the ball and now you're playing covered two you can go single high with him or you can have him blitz off the edge and effectively have a dime package we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, it should be worth noting the Bears are dealing with quite a few injuries um, right now. And it doesn't sound like any of them are major, but. Yeah, I mean, Tremaine Evans has been out the last few practices. Demarcus Walker, he has been out in the practice field uh, for a few practices as well. Um, I think Terrell Smith was out today. Uh, Eddie Jackson I th- um, has been out of practice. So uh, the defense hasn't had, you know, quite the 100% attendance. Justin Jones had a day where he was out. So, yeah, that that certainly can play a role in, in, in some of the things that we're seeing in terms of any inconsistency that's out there. But with that said, all those guys were out today and the offense was, you know, relatively healthy. They had all their stars, I believe out there today as well. And the defense definitely won the day today. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it goes to show that it might be just the coaching of this, of this coaching staff where they're getting the the most out of a lot of these guys they are getting them to play fast. They're getting them to play physical and they're, you know, they're not letting them, they're not, they're, they're putting them in positions where they're not thinking a lot out there and they can just, you know, react to what the offense is doing. And that might be leading to um, a lot of what's happening in practice where the defense is taking control of a lot of these team drills. And when I mean taking control, like the, the offense is just not moving the ball consistently. And even when they do get a big play, you know, usually there's two or three negative plays to make up for it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the defense, they're, they're definitely starting to hit their stride, it seems like. The offense, they're going through a little, little bit of a rough patch, but rough patch relative to where they've been the rest of training camp. I don't want to seem like I'm being a downer here where I'm just saying, like, oh, the offense sucks. Like, they can't get, they can't move the ball and nothing's happening. Like, it's going to be another long year where the Bears can't score. I don't think that's the case at all. I think the Bears offense, I think this, I think this is more so a case where, and I've kind of said it before, where it's been very balanced this training camp in terms of, both the offense and, and defense um, have made plays and they've really, I think, gotten the best out of each other so far. And the offense did a lot more of the swinging early on in training camp. It felt like the defense has come back, back and they swung a little bit more um, over the last week or so. So it's the back and forth, the hills and valleys of, of training camp. I think is that, is that what we're seeing here? And right now, I think I think both sides are just ready to get to an actual game setting where they can beat up on somebody that isn't their teammate, right? Because, I mean, this is what it's like for all these training camps. The first week, there's a lot of energy, it feels like, um, and players are getting after it. By the time you get to the second, third week, guys are just ready to just, like, hit somebody that is not the person in front of them. They're just – they're tired of hitting the same guys every single every single day. And all these players know everyone's tricks. Um, they know what to expect from ev- everybody out there. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where they all have gotten to know each other. And now it's just about, okay, let's see how they do in a game setting against somebody else. And, you know, c- continue on with the defense here. I guess we got to talk about a couple of uh, signings that the Bears just made to add to this roster heading into the first preseason game. Let's start with uh, the defensive side of the ball with uh, – Yannick Ngakwe getting signed on a one-year, $10.5 million contract by the Bears here. This is like the most expected, inevitable signing, I think, to ever be made, um, th- at least this late in an offseason. It felt like this is just like one of those things that was just going to happen eventually and just a matter of when one side was going to give on their contract demands. And it turns out that Ngakwe, I guess, gave up the idea of getting a long-term deal um, instead of accepting a one-year 
year deal with the Bears here. Um, you know, Ngakwe is an interesting player. He's bounced around the league a lot um, over the past few years. You know, he, he famously got traded to uh, the Minnesota Vikings and then in that same season gets traded to the Baltimore Ravens, signs a deal with the Raiders for, I think it was like a three-year deal or something like that or two-year deal. Um, and then after his first season with the Raiders, gets traded to the Colts. Then he's a free agent this year. Nobody wants to sign to a long-term deal, and now he's here with the Bears on a one-year deal. Um, very interesting player. Um, you know, he brings something that the Bears don't have, which is that speed rusher around the edge, someone that can consistently get after the quarterback. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, there's a lot of reasons why Yannick Ngakwe can't, you know, get seem to get a long-term deal from NFL teams, but there is a reason why the Bears brought him in, and that's because he is a very, very good pass rusher at this stage of his career still. You know, it seems like every single year he's a guarantee to get you like eight, nine sacks a year. Even if he's not giving you anything else, he's going to get you sacks, right? Um, so what do you make of the Yannick Ngakwe signing, and, and how do you think he fits on this defense that they have built in here? I mean, you're right. It is – Probably the worst kept secret of the offseason that's finally come true that the Bears were going to need to sign a pass rusher, especially when you go through the NFL draft and you had three picks in the first two rounds and decided not to even draft a rookie edge rusher because you had sold your promise of, well, we believe in the guys that we have, and then you bring in Yannick Ngakwe now. Ultimately, you look at it, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, we know who Unique Ngakwe is. Everyone loves to talk about, well, he's been on his – the Bears are going to be his fifth team in three seasons. Like, okay, you know what? That's fine. But wherever he's gone, you have to understand is that he has consistently produced and been the type of player who is going to come in and legitimately put his best foot forward. Now, the one downside with Unique Ngakwe, and we know that he's an incredibly physical pass rusher. We know he can put his hand in the dirt and – kind of terrorize offenses you know it's interesting because if i had to put unique in a tier of pass rushers i mean he's not a tier four guy for me he's most likely a borderline tier two a low end tier two guy but definitely a tier three guy for me in the sense that he kind of is limited because you know he can rush the passer. And I understand Matt Eberflew said, well, he's going to be a three-down player for us. That right there was just coach speak. Because we know Unique struggles against the run big time, and that teams are just going to go ahead and run at him. And quite frankly, the way that I see the Bears trying to mask that is he either take Unique off the field in obvious running situations to add a guy like Demarcus Walker or Andrew Billings to the D-line or even Rasheem Green, or you go ahead and you basically have him, you know, play tighter inside to the defensive tackle, especially when you're playing like an outside zone team, to go ahead and, you know, have one of the linebackers line up and come up and run support. Like those are the two most obvious things that I can see happening. But the Bears know that they're going to have to mask Yannick's inability to be effective when it comes to stopping the run, you look at the money. I mean, one year, $10.5 million for a guy who has been relative, relatively productive. Signing him this late in the summer is a pretty much of a bargain deal. I mean, Justin Houston, I think just a couple days later, got, I think it was like six or seven millions from 
the Carolina Panthers, and Houston's about six years older, but Houston's also been very productive. But for Unique, I mean, this just ultimately comes down to wherever he's gone, he's been great as a pass rusher, but he just has lost out on that long-term deal by not being, you know, a player who's effective against the run. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly, right? Like, he's not – the Bears aren't getting an all-around – player here right if if Yannick Ngaka was an all-around player giving you know his production in terms of getting sacks like he would not have been signed by the Bears at this point in the offseason right he would have gotten a long-term deal from somebody else probably from a contending team um, or a team that is expected to be contending I should say the Bears could very well contend uh this year if you know Justin Fields breaks out and yada 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 right um but yeah like that's the one thing that is kind of the bugaboo with Ngakwe, right? The run defense is like not just like bad; it's like embarrassing. It's it's ridiculously bad. And I know PFF grades aren't everything, but I just want to go here. Look at his, you know, you know the way that the PFF run grades work on their grading scales. That sixty is considered average. That's the case for all their grading scales. But so if sixty is like your average run defense grade. Yannick Ngakwe only has one year where he's graded out as a average to slightly above average run defender. That was all the way back in 2017, his second season in the NFL, where he had a 61.9 run defense grade. So he was barely above, you know, he was a barely an average run defender. Ever since then, 2018 is 59, um, so below average or around average right there. But the next year in 2019 goes down to 51.6. The next year in 2020 goes down to a 45.8. In 2021 with Las Vegas, 28.2 run defense grade. That is abysmal. That is like on the low end, very low end of grades that you'll see given out to uh, to these players. And then last year at the Colts, uh, he bumped that up to 43.7, but that's definitely not good. Right, that's still in that red area. That's still really bad. So we're talking about a just colossally bad run defender. So when I see, um, you know, the Bears talking about, well, we view Yannick Ngakwe as a three-down player. Um, we don't really pay a lot of mind to the narrative that he's a bad run defender. It's like, okay, you can say that, but actions will prove louder than words, right? And you know, if it. I don't think it's a secret that Ngakwe hit the best year he's had in terms of grading wise since uh, leaving Jacksonville was when he was with Baltimore, where Baltimore basically said, okay, Yannick Ngakwe, we're not going to have you defend the run here. You're just going to rush the passer and just worry about doing that. And Yannick Ngakwe had his best year post Jacksonville in that situation, because literally the only thing he was asked to do there was get in a wide nine, rush the passer around the edge, you know, win with your speed, win with a cross chop, uh, win with uh, inside counter moves, try and force some fumbles, get after the quarterback, and that's it. Don't do anything else. Just do that. Having Asking him to put his hand in the dirt and defend the run, set an edge, um, you know, make plays in the backfield, he's not going to do it. He's just – that's not his game, right? He's, he misses a lot of tackles. Another thing, his tackling is not very good. He's got a over 20% miss tackle rate for his career, according to PFF, so – that's not something he's not a big stops guy. He doesn't get a lot of run stops. He's just not a big playmaker in the run game. It's all about getting after the quarterback. It's all about getting sacks. That's what he's being brought in to do. And that the bears, if you're doing that with them, I think that's a really nice signing. Cause he can come in, 
you got some bigger body edge guys on the roster like Rasheem Green, uh, Demarcus Walker, who can eat up snaps on early downs at, at defensive end. So you don't have to technically play him on early downs. Um, but if they're asking him to, you know, play like 75, 80% of the snaps where he's going to be on the field on rundowns, the Bears' run defense is going to get eaten alive because teams are just going to, like you said, they're going to target him. They're going to go after him in the run game. And it's just going to be free yards against him. And yeah, the Bears, they have a good linebacking core in terms of Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards. They can get after it in the run game and they can make up for that. You hope that a guy like Andrew Billings and Javon Dexter and, and some of these other guys in the roster can eat up blocks in the interior and that can make up for that. But if you have one guy who's consistently a liability in your run defense, that kind of breaks down the entire integrity of the, the entire operation there, right? So, yeah, like in Gakwe, there are some concerns with that. But ultimately, I don't want to get too negative here, right? Um, and, and you said I think you got something you want to add here. Uh, what, what did you have? Uh, what did you want to add here for Ngakwe before I kind of finish my point? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned the grade that he had in 2017 from PFF, which was like a 61.9. I mean, the key thing to keep in mind with that is – so many people tend to forget because it was seven to eight years ago at this point, but that 2017 Jacksonville team was known as Saxonville and they went to the AFC championship game. And that was a loaded defense that quite frankly, I understand they were a one year wonder, but there was so much talent on that unit, which is why you could argue that unique stat of 61.9, the grade he's given is massively inflated and it's way up there. What you got looks cool and all, but you know, give me the. I'll put more stock into four to five years of production over just one year of production. Yeah, that's a great point as well. Like, like, yeah, Jacksonville they had loaded defensive lines. Like they have Calais Campbell, who's just a, a human wrecking ball, right? It's kind of the foundation of that defensive line. Malik Jackson, yeah, that those are some loaded defensive fronts in Jacksonville. Mar- Mar- Marcel Darius. Um, another name just throwing out there, um, just yeah, getting a lot of nostalgia with these names here, you said. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, like Jacksonville, they had a low defensive front on like you go to his recent stops, um, like Las Vegas outside of uh, Max Crosby. They don't have a very good defensive line. And I don't think that's co- it's a coincidence that Yannick Ngakwe had his worst run defense year um, the year that he was there in Las Vegas where they really did not have anything up front to help him out and kind of uh, limit his deficiencies there. So, yeah, I think those are those. that's a great point to make here. And, and why that's important is look at the Bears' defensive line. It's it's not like they're putting out their uh, a team of all pros, right? Um, and we can say that the Bears' defensive line, we expect them to be better this year, but – it's still a long ways away, right? There's a lot of young guys on this, on this defensive line. There's a lot of journeyman players. Like, you know, you know there's a reason why the bears are paying in what they are this year to come in and be, and be a part of this uh, defensive line is because he's probably the best player on their unit right now. And if in is the best player on your defensive line, that says a lot about, what, where your defensive line is in relation to the rest of the NFL. And it's not really good. So, um, but overall, I, again, I don't want to be too negative and Gakwe good pass rusher. He definitely upgrades the unit. He definitely makes them better. Um, I, I do question whether he's going to be as impactful as a lot of bears fans think he's going to be, 
But ultimately, the Bears got better with the signing, and I'm excited to see how that works out and how they end up using him because that'll be very telling for this coaching staff, I think, in terms of how they end up going about using a player like Ngakwe. But the Bears did make another cheap signing, which we can touch on real quick before we move on here, and that was uh, on the offensive side of the ball getting tight end Mercedes Lewis into the building here. Uh, veteran going into, what, his 17th season in the NFL. He's been in the league for forever. Uh, speaking of Jacksonville, he was drafted by Jacksonville as well. He spent forever. Uh, I think he was on that 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars team, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, I, I know he spent the last couple of years in Green Bay, um, but what he brings to the roster um, at this stage of his career, veteran presence, and one of the best run-blocking tight ends in the NFL still, even at his age. And I think this is interesting because he has a connection and a, re- a relationship with Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator here. So I think it's kind of a, a plug and play in terms of they know how to use him. They know what he does in the tight end room. And that's, he's going to be your inline guy. Who's going to block a lot. Um, the interesting, the thing, the interesting, interesting thing to see here is what do the bears do with these tight ends now that they have Lewis in the building? Because, you know, Komet, I kind of view him as more of a Y guy traditionally. Now that you got two of those guys in that role, you know, how do you think that affects the way their, their offense operates now that Lewis is in the building here? Honestly, you can roll out more two tight end sets. You could even argue there's going to be like three tight end sets, but the reality I think is very simple is that, you know, Mercedes Lewis is going to come in and I mentioned this the day that the bears had signed him because Zach and I were at house hall and we did a podcast I said, he's coming in here, you know, he's nearly 40 years old. He's going to go ahead and be a player who is effectively like a coach for some of these younger tight ends on the roster. But he's also going to be a valuable sounding board for Cole Komet as well as Robert Tunney and kind of having played in this offense for so many years. Now, what it ultimately comes down to is, you know, Cole Komet's your number one, you know, Tunyon and Lewis are going to be your two and your three at the tight end spot. I think, you know, what will happen is this, is you're going to see instances where you'll have Lewis as well as Cole Komet on the field at the same time to really kind of keep defenses on their toes and really kind of confuse defenses because as to whether it's a run or a pass play. Because when you look at Mercedes Lewis, I mean, he has traditionally been – in both of his stops, he's played as both a U, but also a Y at times. And really in Jacksonville, I mean, he was a Y tight end more than anything. But he's not going to come here and play this, like, major role in the Bears passing game. It's going to be more so he's on the field specifically for run blocking. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what he's going to be used for as well. And I don't think he's not going to make a lot of an impact in the passing game, right? He's in here strictly to block. 
he's in here strictly to play in line. And I, I agree. I, I think they can do a lot more in terms of two tight end sets where you can have both him and Komet in line. You can have Komet, you know, split out wide. You can even put Robert Tanyan in the game and have him split out wide as kind of that move tight end as well. And, uh, you know, Mercedes Lewis, like I said before, he, he just kind of adds more physicality to your run game. And I think that's what the Bears want to do. As much as we talk about uh, the passing game being improved this offseason and how the Bears can be able to spread out a lot more and they have more weapons in the outside, at the core of this offense, it is a run game, you know, first offense where they want to have the passing game be built off of, you know, the threat of the run game, right? Whether that's Justin Fields in the read option or whether it's the outside zone, you know, boot action stuff that they like to do that, that, traditional Shanahan style of offense that like, they like to run. Um, they want to have guys that, you know, tight ends that can block, that can take on assignments, whether it's against defensive ends or against linebackers. And Lewis can certainly, certainly do that. Um, now, speaking of, you know, how the tight end rotation is going to fill out and how really this offense is going to play out, uh, you know, we're heading into our first, preseason game against the Tennessee Titans here. Um, and we've got our first official or unofficial, whatever you want to call it, depth chart for the Bears heading into the first preseason game. And um, before we move on to the last thing we're going to talk about today, get a little bit, touching a little bit on some college football stuff. Um, any thoughts on the depth chart you say, because uh, there are, at least in my opinion, there are certainly a lot of things that can be taken away here. What, what kind of stood out to you looking at the step first step chart? Well, it's not a surprise to see a lot of the Ryan Poles acquisitions, especially along the defensive line, be listed as first string starters. You look at two off seasons to overhaul the roster, and there's only a handful of players left over from the previous regime. Justin Fields, Khalil Herbert, Tevin Jenkins, Darnell Mooney, even Cole Komet on the offensive side of the ball, along with Cody White here, and then on defense, you've really only got Jalen Johnson along with Eddie Jackson that are listed as first-string guys. And what this speaks to is, number one, the amount of roster turnover that's taking place, but number two, the amount of competition that's been created at Hallis Hall this offseason. Because Travis Gibson and Kendall Vildor, I mean, let's just call it how it is. You know, they have been relatively inconsistent over the last three seasons for the Bears. And so that really brings in the question of they're buried down the depth chart for a specific reason. I mean, I'll be honest, this Kendall Wilder's not making this 53-man roster. And I don't say that just to say it based on where he's ranked in the depth chart, but I say it because he is a player that really hasn't shown much in camp has always just been so inconsistent in coverage, but also as a run defender. You know, some people say it's his strength, but there's a lot of missed tackles in that area too. He just gets mossed around. And the other half of it is this, is there's guys like Josh Blackwell, Jalen Jones, who have come in and quite frankly were reserves last year, but have made much, much, much better plays than Kendall Vildor has. So he just doesn't have a necessary spot on this roster. And to me, you know, when the Bears drafted him, I mean, he was always a guy that was more of a developmental guy than anything. And then Travis Gibson, Travis acknowledged last offseason, he's played in a 4-3 defense dating back to college. And 
the Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy regime drafted him to be a 3-4 pass rusher. There's a world of difference when your hand's in the dirt versus when you're standing up. And I understand Gibson had the seven and a half sacks a few years ago, filling in for Khalil Mack, who was placed on season-ending injured reserve in 2021. But really, you look at last year, I mean, he did not. He was pretty much handed the starting job at defensive end opposite Robert Quinn and really didn't do much of anything. And so the Bears kind of are sending a message and saying, hey, we're confident in Rasheem Green and Demarcus Walker and Dominique Robinson to really be able to go ahead and carry the load. And this goes, this is pre Yannick Ngakwe signing, but there was not a lot that Travis Gibson was doing in training camp. So he's, like I said, another guy likely not making the 53-man roster. The Travis Gibson thing is odd for me because whenever I watch – I've been focusing a lot on the defensive line, offensive line stuff when I've been there at practices. And I don't know, man. Like Travis Gibson as a pass rusher seems to flash way more often than – many of the other defensive linemen on the roster outside of maybe Demarcus Walker when he was healthy early in training camp. But like, yeah, Gibson, like he's got, whenever he's gotten opportunities, like I remember the one practice he had last Tuesday where he had a couple reps against Darnell Wright, where he just completely whooped him in, in the, as a pass rusher in the two minute drill. And it just seemed like the the rookie had no answers against him. Right. Um, and whenever they do one-on-one drills, Gibson, just eats in these drills. I don't know. I, and I don't know if it's just like, you know, he's another one of those guys where his run defense is really bad. He's not a good run defender. That maybe, maybe that's what the coaching staff is kind of factoring in here. Maybe they're just trying to send a message to him. Just like, Hey, like you don't have a guaranteed spot on this roster. You got to step it up when the game start, because we know what you can do in practice, but you know, we've added a lot of talent on the roster and, you know, for a reason. Right. Um, so kind of sending a message there. I also wonder if there's a salary cap aspect of this too, right? Where Travis Gibson compared to Dominique Robinson, Terrell Lewis, um, some of the other young guys they brought in, um, you know, he's getting paid more and he's got no more guaranteed money on his contract left for his rookie deal. So I wonder if that might be, you know, some factor into why he's kind of considered on the bubble here. I don't know, but if you're just looking at like pure talent wise right now, like in terms of their edge rushers, like Travis Gibson to me is their third best edge rusher, edge rusher on the roster right now, right behind Yannick Ngakwe and right behind Marcus Walker. So I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's just a thing where, again, like you said, new regime, new coaching staff, new general manager, they want to bring in their guys and they want to give those guys a chance. I don't know. Maybe Travis Gibson gets cut. Maybe they find a suitor for him on the trade market. You know, I know Ryan Pace has been, you know, getting a lot of former Bears on that Atlanta Falcons roster. So maybe they somehow flip him for a late day three pick there. I don't know. But yeah, that was one thing that really stood out to me was him being like the fourth string defensive end or something like that, fourth defensive end. Um, yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But hey, they're, this is their team. Uh, they're coaching them every day. And, that they're obviously seeing something that they don't like uh, to where he's not considered a starter. Um, another thing here is uh, Valus Jones Jr. Um, if I'm correct here, just looking at this correctly, they have him down as the first string kick returner and punt returner, but he's lower on the wide receiver um, depth chart. So what do you make of Valus Jones and his status on the roster currently? 
Yeah, I would say this is that looking at Velas's roster projection, I mean, I'll be honest, right? So going to Family Fest on Sunday and just getting a bird's eye view of the offense, I could definitely tell that this coaching staff is more comfortable having Tyler Scott running go routes and a lot of the deep routes down the field than Velas Jones Jr. Now, it's key to keep in mind. I mean, the guys also have relatively different skill sets, but Tyler Scott's also just a natural fit for this offense compared to a guy like Velas Jones Jr. And breaking it down, I mean, Scott is going to be a player who improves as a route runner, a guy who comes in and, you know, is going to be a speedster, but also a technician. Whereas you look at, and he's going to be a guy who gets open based on pure talent alone. Contrast that to Vela's Jones Jr., who, again, had one pass last year, one reception last year for like 44 yards in that Christmas Eve game against the Bills, which is the extent of the deep threat that we saw from Vela's Jones Jr. But he is really limited in the sense that, yes, he has the speed and can be this dynamic and electric playmaker, but you have to scheme him open because you effectively have to get him in space. So that's where his limitations come in. His best bet has always just been going back to college both USC and Tennessee and making plays as special teamers as a special team return man I mean you look at his production as a receiver and he's lower on the depth chart for the Bears simply because he never really popped off as a receiver in college either I do find it odd that they have Dante Pettis listed ahead of him on the depth chart and for those who've been following our updates on Twitter, like literally every single day, it's a common thing where Dante Pettis doesn't practice. Like Pettis is like not practiced all throughout training camp. So I don't know how he can be ahead of him on the depth chart. I don't know. To me, that makes, to me, that makes no sense. I mean, there's always first unofficial depth chart nonsense and I don't know that might be part of it, but who's, who's to say really. Um, so before we wrap up, I guess that's a good time to kind of move on to our last topic here. And, uh, uh, I guess let's talk about some college football. So week one of college football, we're about a month away from the start of uh, the college football season. Uh, really looking forward to it. It's been a long off season there as well. And it's not something we've had a lot of time to talk about, but I think this is a good time to talk about um, some college football prospects and, uh, you know, some guys that we're looking forward to watching for week one, some matchups here. So what we're going to do is we're each going to choose one or two games that we're looking forward to uh, for week one. And I think, I think we could do this, for every episode leading up to week one as well. Let's just, so I, I think we'll do that where we'll pick one game and talk about a couple of prospects in the, in that game. And then, uh, yeah. So you say, I'll start with you. What's the one game that you want to put out there this week in regards to week one? Well, I mean, it's not going to be the hottest game on the schedule, but Toledo versus Illinois is a matchup. I'm intrigued by you look at what's happening in Illinois. I mean, down there at U of I, and Brett Bialma is really trying to build a legit program. I mean, Illinois hired, I believe it was Jim Leonard this past offseason, just as a guy who's going to come in and have some sort of role with the defense, which having Jim Leonard on that staff is going to be incredibly valuable for the development of a lot of the young guys. Now, one of the young guys on the defensive side of the football just so happens to be Jerzon Newton, who is one of the top interior defensive tackles to watch 
for the 2024 draft. I understand people are going to say, well, he's, you know, from Illinois, not necessarily a guy you're going to want to keep an eye on. But you look at Jerzon Newton last year. I mean, production was pretty impressive. You know, had about six sacks, 14 tackles, four loss. And really, he's the perfect fit for any team that's running a 4-3 defense because he comes in about six with two, you know, right around 300 pounds. So he can play in that. He can play a five tech in a three four, or if he slims down, he could fit into a four three. But you know, he's disruptive. He certainly displays power at the point of attack. And then he's just got this level of agility to him, which allows him to keep moving as well. So Jerzon Newton's a name that's gonna be on my watch list all throughout the season because he's just a big, strong player. And then another Illinois defender to watch is Tavion Nicholson, you look at kind of last year, I mean, all the attention was going to Devin Witherspoon, who was a top 10 pick in the 2023 draft. But Nicholson is a guy who, again, you know, is going to be a late day late second round, early third round pick. Now I look at him because there is so much mobility that he brings to the table. Yes, he's going to be older than the average rookie, but he has got really good long speed. And then he's a competitive ball hawk when it comes to the catch point and going up against receivers. I mean, he's always going to stick his hand in there and try and break up the pass. So those are the two guys that I'm looking at for the week one matchup. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, for me, uh, the one game I'm looking forward to, or one of the games I'm looking forward to, I should say, and, and I will say there's not a lot of games in this week one slate that has me super excited, I will say, in terms of a matchup between two teams. But one game that, uh, in terms of prospects, I'm interested in watching is uh, Clemson versus Duke. On the Duke side, uh, offensive lineman um, Graham Barton, He's, he's an interesting player to look out for. He's a guy who plays tackle for them currently, but he has experience at center as well. Very versatile player. Who can kind of He's one of those guys that kind of projects to being someone who could maybe play all five positions. And I know um, for the Bears you know, standpoint, uh, versatility is something that I think they're going to value. And remember, I know tackle is not – it doesn't seem to be a need right now for the Bears, but – you know, you, you hope that Darnell Wright can lock things down at right tackle. We still don't know if Braxton Jones is going to be the long-term answer at left tackle, but you look to the interior, like Tevin Jenkins, we don't know if he's going to be a long-term answer left guard. We don't know if Cody Whitehair is going to be the long-term answer at center. In fact, I go as far to say he's probably not going to be a long-term answer at center. Like There are still some long-term needs in the interior of the offensive line um, that could be addressing. And Graham Barton, um, he may be one of those guys where he plays tackle in college, but may need to slip you know, uh, kick inside to guard the next level. So as a day two guy is what I'm kind of viewing him as right now. It's, it's early, but uh, he's one guy that I'm interested in seeing. And he's going to be going up against a really stacked Clemson defense here. And 
Clemson defense. The main guy returning for them is a defensive lineman. Um, gosh, why is the name blanking for me right here? Uh, Tyler Davis. Tyler Davis, I think it is. Um, yeah, Tyler Davis. He was the best player from uh, from their defensive line last year from when I watched him. I know Brian Brzee got a lot of the hype from that group last year, and he was a first-round pick for a reason for the, to the New Orleans Saints. But whenever I put on a Clemson game trying to scout Brzee, Tyler Davis is always the guy that kind of flashed for me. So I'm kind of curious to see if they ever match up at, it's, at any point. Like Tyler Davis, he's more of an interior guy. So that's probably not going to happen too many times if it does. But Davis also is somebody that I think has the versatility to play some edge as well on early downs and stuff like that. So uh, very curious to see if there's any matchup going on there. Um, in terms of some other prospects on Clemson, Clemson does have quite a few defensive prospects this year. That should be interesting to follow. Uh, one of them is linebacker Jeremiah Trotter Jr., who kind of fits that mold of Clemson linebackers that have come out in the NFL over the last few years, just these undersized, really athletic, kind of hybrid guys. And Trotter, um, he's not as much of a hybrid as like uh, Isaiah Simmons coming out of the draft, where Simmons um, – we really didn't know whether he was a safety, a slot corner, or a linebacker. It seems like the Cardinals have him as a safety now, so I guess it kind of shows you what he is at the next level. But Trotter, uh, undersized linebacker, but extremely fast, extremely athletic, good instincts. Um, kind of curious to see uh, where he kind of puts himself in the conversation because he's one of those guys where linebacker is a weird, a weird position, right? Because typically um, I think – NFL teams are starting to get smarter about not drafting these guys too high, unless you're the Detroit Lions, apparently. Um, but yeah, I think the NFL is getting smarter about not drafting linebackers too high in the first round because it is kind of like the running back of the defensive side of the ball, so to speak. But Trotter, you know, he could do a lot to kind of prove that he can be an exception to that. I think there's a lot of physical talent there, and I think he's he does have some instinct that does have be a little bit excited to see what he could be at the next level. So that's the one game I'm looking forward to watching um, going into week one in about a month or so. I mean, we can talk about more games, I guess, going down the line here, heading into that uh, week one. But for now, I think it's going to be a good point to wrap it up here for us and uh, conclude this episode of the Picks for Polls podcast. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to like, rate, and review. Uh, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast from us on Spotify, for the Blue Wire, um, here at the Bear Report. Make sure to uh, also follow the Bear Report on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter as well, at Picks for Polls. As for you, say, where can our listeners find you on social media? Where can they find your work? Yeah, guys, my social media handles are at Usaid Koshal, and then check out my work on the Bear Report. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman twenty five. Uh, you can find my work on the Bear Report as well. Make sure to find. Make sure to check out my uh, notebooks. Uh, for training camp practices if you're a VIP member. Um, I will have some other stuff coming out here heading into the first preseason game and heading into the regular season. Uh, But with that said, uh, it's going to be a a long week until we get to that first preseason game, but I'm really excited to get into it, really excited to get to our first game action uh, for the Bears for this upcoming season. And next week we'll be talking about a little bit about that first preseason game. So I can't wait for that. But until next time, Bears fans, have yourself a great weekend and bear down. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.